0: Well, I've got four stands to choose from and I broke one of them, so uh let's see how we get on with this one. If I can last to actually to begin the sermon. Great. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. excellent isn't that great worship, isn't it? Just moments when the kind of the volume of our hearts increases. It's not about a PA thing, it's just a a response to the goodness of God. Absolutely love it. Um if you are new to the church, we are going through a series of sermons on the values of this church, the kind of church that we want to be. And these are the things that we are aiming for. And sometimes we do a value and we think, actually, you know, we're doing pretty well with this one. Sometimes we talk about a value and think, you yeah, know, okay, th- th- things are in- I can see progress in what we're doing, things are okay. And then we can look at some values and think, okay, we have a long way to go on that. All of those responses are okay, because values takes time. And talking about something once doesn't make it so any more than me telling Abigail to say thank you once suddenly turns her into this polite young lady. Values take time, but they are worth taking the time and the effort. I had a, uh, it was a picture, really. It's a picture of the high jump. The object is to get better and higher. To train your muscles to improve your stride patterns, to improve your timing, so that regularly, year by year, you are breaking your personal best. But there's also one thing you need to get better at the high jump, and that is a crash mat. The mat to catch you. And grace is the mat to catch us as we seek to raise the bar of our values. Because over the, over the past few months, we have raised the bar, I think, in almost every way. Even Dave coming up and sharing about men's discipleship, how we want to raise the bar. Not only have we spoken about values, as I've preached since September, about the values, we've also we've moved venue recently, you've probably noticed. We've brought serving teams forward. We've changed almost our entire Sunday morning routine to get better at the way we worship God and the better at the way that we serve our guests. The bar has been raised quite a, great, quite a deal And you faithfully stepped up your own game to meet that challenge. But we must never forget about the mat as we look at values and do anything. Because whether we clear the bar, whether we smash straight through it, or whether we sail headfirst underneath it, the mat will catch us as we do that. Because I would love this church to aim high in everything that we do. I want all of us to cheer each other on as we push ourselves and each other towards greater exploits for God. And as we do that with our values, with our venue, with our discipleship, with our worship, with anything that we do, let's never forget the grace that will catch us when we fall. Let's never forget God's grace towards us. Let's never forget to show grace to each other. That's a bit of an introduction as part of our values thoughts. But today's value is to be evangelistic. BFC is and will continually strive to be an evangelistic church. Now, just to clarify that, I don't mean evangelical. I mean evangelistic. An evangelical church is one that honors the word of God, and we certainly do that as well. One of our key values that I mentioned last year was to be a word and spirit church. That is a key value for us. We love being evangelical, but today I want to talk about us being an evangelistic church. And though they very, sound very similar word-wise, there is a big difference. Because an evangelical has a passion for God's word, an evangelist has a passion for others to hear about God's word. Well, actually, to be semantically correct, it means someone, something less specific than that. An evangelist is simply someone who announces the news. That's what the Greek word means. An evangelist, he announces the news. So Bill Turnbull on breakfast is an evangelist. Hugh Edwards at the six o'clock news, Jeremy Paxman in the evening on newsnight they are all evangelists. Notice I didn't go down the female bro- you know, newsreaders because I'll get in trouble about who are my favourites. They are all evangelists. And in fact, we are all evangelists of some kind. We all love to announce news to other people. Just spend a moment on Facebook and you will see that. Much of that news isn't news to anyone but ourselves. Become a friend of Jake on Facebook, and you will know that in a couple of minutes. Um, but it is useful at times, Facebook. You know, when Abigail was born, we had to text a few people and hope the message got through. Um, with Joshua, we just took a photo of him, stuck it on Facebook, and immediately, 450 of our closest friends already knew about it. But, so the more accurate question is really, not will we be evangelistic. The real question is, what news are we going to be announcing? We are evangelists, but will it always be our news or will it sometimes be God's news? Will we, wherever possible, switch from our news, important though it generally is most of the time, but to the infinitely more important good news, the gospel of God. The gospel of God that says that God is real, that he really loves us, that he really wants a relationship with us. The good news that declares that though no one deserves God and his heaven, but that through Jesus Christ we are offered access to the love and the meaning and the significance that we were created to enjoy. Will we be evangelists of that message is the real question for this morning. A few weeks ago, I, as was I mentioned, I played a, a video by a group called Casting Crowns. And if you're going to the big church day out, Unfortunately, we can't make it. I am very jealous because they are playing at the big church day out. And that is worth your entrance fee as it is. And uh, one of the other songs I love about them uh, came to mind as I was preparing this was the song, Here I Go Again. And it's all about evangelism. And the chorus goes, don't worry, I won't sing it. Um, Because here I go again, talking about the rain, mulling over things that won't live past today. And as I dance around the truth, time is not his friend this might be the last time to tell him that you love him. And I'm sure in a way we can all identify with the heart of that song. We find ourselves talking about trivia, about good TV, about good music, a good film we've watched, good food we've eaten, good news that we've heard, but we never get around to truly sharing the eternally good news. And perhaps like me, you can, you can kind of identify with that frustration of the, the songwriter because it is, oh, here I go again talking about the weather, talking about the traffic, talking about politics and the economy, sharing news to be sure, but not the most important news. It is amazing and both depressing that of all the millions of words we share in our life, how many of those are of eternal worth. Now, I'm sure you're very good people. You wouldn't use any of your words you know, in a negative sense for slander or any of that kind of thing. But how many words do we use that are of eternal worth? You know, on average, we speak between ten and fifteen and twenty thousand words every day. There was some research that said women, uh, you know, say about five thousand more. That's not proven, by the way. I might use it anyway, but I don't, you know, who needs facts? Um, you know, of the recorded words of Jesus, we have a thousand. And look at what he achieved with those words. Because as we personally choose to begin to share the good news, then we find that the very culture of the church we exist in will change so that we will increasingly become an evangelistic church. It isn't merely about running events. You know, if we run an alpha cost, then we're evangelistic. If we run just looking, then we're evangelistic. It's actually about heart change in us. It's when Christians decide together that we're going to go beyond the temporary to the eternally good news. Tim Keller, who has written many excellent books worthy of you reading, he said, evangelism is the single most unique service that Christians can offer the world. The single most unique service that Christians can offer the world. Because we talked about remembering the poor. Other groups remember the poor. We can talk about social justice. We can talk about bringing good family values into society. And lots of other groups can do that as well. But we Christians have the gospel of Jesus, by which men and women can be born again into the certain hope of eternal life. No other group, society, organization has news like we do. And yet I'm sure that like me, you struggle as we try and communicate that good news. Now, because I doubt there are are many people here who don't want to tell anyone. You know, I like secrets. You know, if I had the cure for cancer, I would keep it to myself just for fun. I'm sure you're not like that with evangelizing. But we want to be bolder. we just struggle when those opportunities do come up. So this morning, I want to talk about two things. Firstly, I want to talk about the things that trip us up in our evangelism. And that might be different things for different people. It might be different emphasis for different things. These are just the things that, I, that came to mind as I looked into this. Secondly, I want to then look, as I've done with the other values, about what this will look like for us as we strive to get better at being an evangelistic church in the future. And at the end, and then I want to pray for anyone who wants to grow in this area. And so the first question is really, well, what, does, what trips us up? I don't know about you, for me, one of the, the first thing is not knowing what to say in those moments. We struggle with what to say and how to say it without being, you know, cringy as well. Without becoming that guy. You know, that the one who just likes to bring Christ into absolutely everything. You know, you can be sitting down having lunch with him and he says, wow, this is a nice salad. And uh, he replies, do you know what else is nice? Being washed in the blood of the lamb. Yeah, that's nice as well. You, know, you don't want to be that kind of guy, unless you really want to. You know, I don't know. Um, because I'm convinced that we can be both honest and natural in our evangelism. I believe that because God has command of us, and he wouldn't allow us to kind of have to be something that we're not, and then command us to do it. And I'm also convinced that every one of us has been strategically placed in our workplaces, our schools, and our streets, For God to be able to reveal himself through us, again, in a natural way. But also in a natural but an uncompromising way. Because for fear of being that guy, we hide away. For fear of saying the wrong thing, often we say nothing. Of all the um, New Testament characters, one of my favourites, and probably the guy I relate to most, is Timothy. Timothy was a young guy who eventually became the pastor of the, the church in Ephesus. And I would call him the reluctant pastor. And uh, not that I'm reluctant to be here now, but I was reluctant when invited to be a pastor. Um, I suspect, you know, Paul probably found him on the refreshments rotor at Lystra Family Church. He certainly was, he was a very timid man. And, um, but he, but Paul told the very timid uh, Timothy, he said in, in 2 Timothy 4.2, he said, preach the word. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. And in verse five, he says, do the work of, of an evangelist Timothy really clearly didn't consider himself to be an evangelist so you hear Paul saying actually you be prepared to preach the word in season out of season when it's convenient and when it's not when the courses are on and when they're not do the work of an evangelist even if you don't feel that is your primary gift in and so there's that preparation to to be able to answer the questions that life throws at people what I find wonderful is that when we became a Christian, God didn't wipe our memory of what we felt and what we thought before then. Actually, the same questions we were asking before we were a Christian are probably the same ones that are common to our friends and family now. And we need to prepare ourselves. Be prepared, Paul says, in season and out of season. And that preparation can mean different things and will mean different things to different people. I know some people have personal tracks. They take a bit of time. They write down their testimony, and I know some people have had fantastic fruit through personal track. They just give it to people. You know, the message is there in clear. One of the things that have helped me um, is to simplify it personally, and uh, this is one of the ways I do it. Don't worry, it's not. It's uh, stripping evangelism, and uh, and this is a it's a t-shirt by the way. If I guess to and it's called the four, four, four points. Again, just simple things that can help us say when you say, Don't no, I take off. Um, don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> then it's the real wrong kind of good news. Um, so just you simplify the gospel. Four points they say. A heart, God loves us. Cross, sin came into the world into our hearts. The cross Sorry, that cross. Then that cross, Christ came and made a way, and then a question mark, decision. You can just simplify things in that way. And so when people are sick, you can say, well, actually, can I pray for you? And you think, well, why? And think of the four points. Because God loves us. Even before we sin, he he loved us, and he loves mankind. When people are angry because there have been terrorist attacks or something's gone wrong, we have to say, well, actually, you know what? Sin is in all of us. The desire to kill and to destroy and to conquer actually is within every human heart. Um, you know, when people get angry with God because he doesn't seem to care about suffering, you can point to the cross because you say, well, actually, no, Christ does care about suffering because he entered suffering. He, it's not that he is dist- God is distant from our suffering. He, ent- he chose to enter that thing for us. Not knowing what to say, it really is just a case of actually, okay, I need to be prepared in myself as to what might people ask and what I would be able to say in response. And the second thing that can trip us up as well is thinking that you do need all the answers. And that's, they're kind of linked, but I think there's a slightly different thing as well. And we can get tripped up in that. Perhaps you're like me. Perhaps you think, if I open that can, I don't know what's going to spew out. Okay, and it'll probably be more than I can handle. Well, what if suffering is mentioned? Because, you know, I don't really like my answer on suffering. It's, it's not that good. What if they ask about the Trinity? I mean, I, you know, I'm really unclear on how that works myself. How can I explain that to someone? How do I explain to a good person that they're not really as good as they think they are, but then do it in a nice way so they still like me? So we shy away. And then we pray that that person bumps into a more qualified Christian, preferably one who is an official evangelist. And so if we are tempted, if that's a problem for you, if we're tempted to think that we need all the answers, it's good to remember two things. Firstly, we need to remember what happened to us when the gospel first came to me, or to us. I don't know about you, but you know, put your hands up if, if you believed in God because someone perfectly explained everything. you know, Salvation, justification, propitiation, expiation, sanctification. If anyone could spell them anyway. Did anyone believe because of that? Did anyone believe because someone explained predestination at a 12-year-old level so that you could understand it? So why, when we're passing on the message, do we feel the need to make it about intellect? You know what I think? I I think we believed because um, when we heard the message, there was one aspect of it that spoke most to our heart. And then we made a first move towards God, and then we were kind of surprised to see him running towards us. In my understanding, becoming a Christian takes a millisecond, and we then spend the rest of our life and the rest of eternity finding out what happened in that millisecond. I don't know about you, but did you mind not having all the answers at the beginning? No, because Christianity is about a relationship. When I met Louise, I didn't know everything about her. We started going out two weeks after we'd met. I didn't know everything about her. We got married 18 months later. Do you know what? I still didn't know everything about her, and I was actually quite happy to do that because it's a relationship. I wanted the fun of learning. I wanted the fun, the joy of taking time over learning and getting to know her. And Christianity isn't a religion where you have to intellectually accept everything by having it perfectly explained to you by a proper evangelist. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ where actually new discovery is a daily event and part of the joy of being a Christian. So don't forget what happened when you first accepted the gospel. Secondly, let's remember what Jesus actually asked us to do. In Acts one I I don't think it's up there, it says, you will be my witnesses. That's all he said. Be witnesses. Be witnesses of what you've seen and what you've heard. And the thing about witnesses is they're only allowed to share what they've heard or what they've seen. I've never been in a court and been a witness, but I had a, I've had a police officer come to my house and ask me questions about someone else, and uh, I had to be very careful not to go into conjecture. You know I could say, "Well, you know, I, he's a bit like this, but you know, I had to be very careful to just say, "This is what I've seen and this is what I know to be true." You can't go into the judge and jury mode, because then they'll throw out your witness as being biased. We're to be witnesses. Witnesses of what God has done in your life, incomplete though it may seem at the moment. And in that moment, we must remember it doesn't have to be all the news, all the good news. Often people aren't ready for that. All God expects of us is that we would bear witnesses of the things given to us, done to us, said over us, and the things that we enjoy living in the good of. Another thing that trips us up, the depth of our relationship with people. Because most evangelism moments come within friendships and relationships. Some of them don't. Some, some evangelism moments are, you know, they come out totally out of the blue. Some are spontaneous. You are sitting on a train, reading a Christian book or reading the Bible. A stranger leans over to you and says, what's your book about? Just out of the blue, no relationship. So some evangelism is out of relationship but kind of planned. So maybe you've done a mission week before. I did a mission week years ago in, in Horsham. If you go to New Day and you're a young person, you walk around Derby or Nottingham or wherever it is on Norwich, and you have a big red T-shirt which says, want to meet Jesus? Ask me how. That is a spontaneous evangelism moment, and sometimes it works. But most moments aren't like those. They are our friends and our family who we know well, who we want to share the good news with. That's where most evangelism takes place. And so we must be deliberate about our relationships. We were at an eldership conference, um, an elders and wives conference, and one of the speakers, he gave us all a bit of paper and said, right, I want you all to write down five names of people that you have, you know, you're really praying for to come to know Jesus. And uh, I tell you, I, just, I struggled a bit. You know, it's, and I'm sure there were people in the room that really even struggled to get to five, just five. Because we get busy with things. We get busy with church events. We get busy with church and church relationships. And those things are important and right. But then we get busy with other things as well. We get busy with TV and video games and hobbies. We get busy making our garden the Zen paradise that we want it to be. And then we only notice it when someone says, have you got five good friends that you're praying for and really deliberate about? And we find that we struggle. And if we don't have non-Christian friends, we need to do something about it because we aren't living the life that Jesus commanded us to do. We're not living the life that even Jesus demonstrated. And sometimes that might mean big changes, changing jobs, starting a hobby, joining a club, joining a committee. And we hear people blaming everyone else. We blame our boss, our job, our family, our church. for not giving them the opportunity, but it's really no one's fault but our own. And if we don't feel that we have time, we need to steal it from things that we haven't been commanded to do. I have checked the Bible. I've read it from cover to cover. Jesus never commanded me to watch TV. He didn't. I'm sorry. I've I've tried. So if I can do all the things he has commanded me to do and watch a bit of TV, I don't think he cares. Jesus never commanded me, though. I've tried again to look in it, to watch, to play computer games. He hasn't. It's not in there. Um, But... If I can do all the other things and still have time for that, then that's absolutely fine. I don't think it bothers him. But Jesus, look at the way he demonstrated. He, Jesus is our model of the perfect evangelist. Because he starts his ministry with, uh, in, in Luke, and he stands up in the synagogue and opens Isaiah. says, the Spirit of the Lord has appointed me to preach good news. Literally, that word evangelism is what he mentions there. But how did Jesus do that best? He loved being with people. He just loved it. That was his evangelism. Yeah, he stood up in the crowds, but that wasn't really evangelism. That was a bit of teaching. Actually, it was the one-to-ones that he had with guys like Zacchaeus. He loved being with people. He had deep friendships with people. He ate with them. He stayed in their homes. He played with their kids. What was the biggest accusation that Pharisees threw at Jesus? You eat with sinners. That's what they said. Horror to them. Could that accusation be leveled at us? And what was his response? Well, the sick need a doctor. Now, he was the doctor. We're not, but we can introduce the people to the doctor and say, actually, there is one. John Calvin wrote, The gospel does not fall from the clouds like rain by accident, but is brought by the hands of men to whom God has sent it. And that is all of us. The fourth thing that can trip us up in our evangelism, this is probably the the hardest one to preach on, but I'm convinced of it, Fourthly, it's our behavior. Often our behavior trips us up in our evangelism. Like a couple of weeks ago, I shared the story about the fish sticker on Mum's car. You know, if I don't want people to think bad about Christianity by my driving, I need to change my driving. And often our attitudes and our acts don't just make evangelism hard for us. Sometimes they make it impossible. Because good news just doesn't sound good news when it's in the possession, when possession of that knowledge for years and years hasn't seemed to have any impact on who we are and how we live, on how grumpy we are or lazy or apathetic or rebellious or rude. Can we really talk about a new king in our life if we're always the one at work who's undermining the boss that we do have? Can we really talk about God's forgiveness when we refuse to forgive other people and people know us as bearing grudges year after year? Can we really talk about grace when that grace never seems to stir us and strive to strive for better? Can we really talk about God changing us when there's no obvious changes that we're no different from the person next to us? Or are we just inviting that hypocrite label that's been given to Christians for centuries after centuries? You talk about one thing and you live differently. Or rather, actually, it's the other end, you really, you live the same, but then you talk about something different. Because I'm not expecting people to fall at our feet and to cry. What must I do to be saved when we walk in a room? But we do expect the kind of what makes you different questions. When you're angry, you seem to react differently. You seem to control things. When life goes bad for you, you seem to react differently to that. Why is that? And it's not that we're trying to find perf- to try, get perfection in us, but rather something different about how we handle ourselves, how we speak to our kids and our wives and our husbands, how we react to frustrations, how we face the future, how we view life and death and everything in between it. It's like those adverts for Weight Watchers. Okay, you've probably seen them. They don't show the guy who's been going for years and years and who is still 25 stone, despite all his own efforts and the. Efforts of the uh, the volunteers, you find the lady who's lost ten stone and about to go on a beach holiday. Why? Because they want to say, ah, "Look, our stuff works." They're honest. Yeah, sure, it's hard at times. Yeah, you have good weeks and bad weeks, but it works. And we want a gospel, and we want to demonstrate a gospel that says, "Look, guys, it works." Yeah, we have good weeks and bad weeks, but look at the changes God is doing. You know, we have a good news that says God accepts us regardless. The Bible says we are saved by faith, pure and simple. Okay, you, know, you realize grace is a shocking concept. It's shocking. A guy like Jeffrey Dahmer, who can kill 17 people, but then become a Christian in, uh, in prison, gets to heaven like any one of us. It is a shocking concept. But it's true. God takes our sin, places it on his son, he fully bears it, and then offers us back his righteousness by faith. But then James says, faith without works is dead. Because being with Christ changes us. Having the knowledge of the good news changes us. Having the Holy Spirit within our hearts, being a temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, it changes us. And hopefully over over time, that transformation becomes noticeable to people. Because when I choose not to watch something on TV, people will notice. It may take years, but it's worth it. When I chose to go to home group or prayer meetings or Sunday mornings over social events, then people will notice. When I choose to spend my money in different ways, people will notice. You know, I'm a, it's a big day for our, um, us today because uh, I'm a Man United fan. And, um, but I'm not a very good Man United fan. Um, in fact, I'm a terrible one, probably one of the worst. Um, I watch them if they're on terrestrial and there's nothing better going on. I certainly wouldn't go to the expense of buying Sky Sports or Man United TV to watch them. Um, If Crawley get promoted to the Premier League, I may consider driving 15 miles to go and see them. But that's about the limit of how far I'll travel. I've seen them play once. I've been to Old Trafford once. I'm a lousy Man United fan. I'm a lousy Man United evangelist. You know, hasn't changed my life really any bit. You know, they might win today. Don't really care, to be honest. You know. (laughs) I can't, with good conscience, spread the good news about Man United because it has so little impact on how I spend my money, how I spend my Saturdays, what I talk about in the pub. Are we in danger of that same accusation being set at us about the truly good news? The Bible tells us to make a sober judgment about yourself. The only Bible says the only person you're allowed to judge is yourself and encourages you to do that. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because yes, there's an element of discipline and godly choices. But ultimately, we need to submit the area of our life that we know we are weakest. We need to submit that to the Holy Spirit and allow him to transform us. Allow his word to renew our thinking. Martin Luther said, it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ, his neighbor. Four things. Four things that I just, you know, whilst thinking it through, that I know certainly trips me up. And I know maybe for you as well. Maybe one of those is the big thing. Maybe you can kind of see a spread all over them as being a hindrance to what you know you want to be saying, to the good news that you want to be broadcasting more. And often with spiritual activities like you know, prayer and evangelism, that kind of thing, we just think, well, I need to just try harder. I need to try better this week. When really, actually, Romans talks about a sober assessment of ourselves like look again at Jesus' life. That's why it's there, so we can, come, we can look at how he did things. And then that submitting to the Holy Spirit will actually allow us to try less hard about these spiritual things, but reap a bigger harvest. Now, obviously, regardless of any changes that we make, we're not, we can't guarantee any fruit from what we're saying. Even people walked away from Jesus, and he was the perfect evangelist. I don't know about you, but I want people to hear more from me so they do have a better opportunity to hear the wonderful good news that has changed everything about me. I want to be part of God's great mission, God's great evangelization of the world, the the sharing of his goodness. I want to reflect God's light into this dark world. I want to be part of God's solution plan for mankind, the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. And if analyzing two attitudes and two things I do helps that, then God help me do it. Holy Spirit, help me do it. And I pray that's your prayer as well. At the end, I want us to pray into a few of those as well. But the second thing I wanted to do today is to consider what practical applications it will have for us as a church. Essentially, if we have this as a value, where is our strategy as to how we're going to get better at doing it? What difference will it make to our planning for the future and the way that we do things? So what will it look like for us as a church? Firstly, we are going to seek excellence on a Sunday morning because actually that is our foremost regular evangelistic tool, Sunday mornings. Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are unlike, so unlike your Christ. Sadly, Christians are the common, commonly the reason why people don't seek Christ. Because if someone walks in on a Sunday and finds legalism, even grumpiness or apathy or religion or cliques or unwelcoming nature, unfriendliness, they would automatically assume that Christianity doesn't have the answers they expected, them, expected to find. And God gets blamed for our failings. They don't come up to us and say, you seem a little bit grumpy. Is that how Christians are? Or is that a particularly bad day for you? They will just not listen to the message. So to be evangelistic is to care about welcoming guests, whether we're on a rota or not. It's to demonstrate love to one another. What did Jesus say? The world will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. It's to demonstrate the sacrificial lifestyle that Jesus demonstrated. It's to show humility and not pride. Pride says that my opinion is most important. It says that I will serve, but at my convenience and my timing. You know, the first step to getting to get towards excellence on a Sunday morning is to agree together, it is not about me, it is about Jesus. Let him be honoured, let him be demonstrated, let him be glorified. Let guests see Christ in us. Because I'm convinced that when they see the beauty and the grace and the love of Christ, I'm convinced that they will be ruined for anything else. We cannot save anyone, but Christ can save everyone, and we can show them Christ. And I would love us to continually strive to get better at how we do that, especially on Sunday mornings. Second thing it will look like: we will strive towards greater involvement and commitment. Because our friends, as I said before, they will judge us on what they see. We can talk about Jesus being important to us all we like, but then our actions will may speak louder and longer. So if we are always busy doing other things, and then. If we are always going late on a Saturday night drinking with everyone else, what, else are they, what other conclusions will they come up with? The church in this country is suffering because our busy lives have crowded out the most sacred moments. We fit them around everything else that we do. And what do our friends see? They see a hobby, not a passion. Now, if we're merely after a religious experience, then it doesn't matter how often we meet together, how often we pray or serve. But if we have thousands of people to reach with the gospel, if we want to impact our friends and family with the gospel, then it does matter. And if we want Billingshurst Family Church to be an evangelistic church, then it does matter what Billingshurst sees when it looks at us. So we strive towards that so they see the the good news in us. Thirdly, we're going to highlight particular opportunities in the year. Some Sunday mornings when people are more likely to come and hear the good news. Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day we find. Our biggest Sunday here so far has been on Mother's Day, which is great. We've got a Father's Day coming up soon, and we get to meet on there because the Billy show's been moved, which is great. And we've got flyers to come and just, just encourage it. I know it's not particularly politically correct, but I never want to be, so it's okay. Social events that we do. Just encourage you to just really, just put them in your diary. You know, I, I know we are busy people. I know we have calendars to fit around. I know we have family holidays. I know I have loads of family holidays, and it's great. But wherever is possible, I want to consider evangelism in my diary, in my calendar. Now, maybe you think that's a bit legalistic, please, but I hope it doesn't come across like that. I personally see it as dying to self for the sake of Christ. It's saying that God has given me all the time I need to be a good husband, a good father, a good son, a good worker, a good server, a good worshipper, and a good evangelist. But it won't happen automatically, but Christ is worthy of the better effort. Because sometimes, I'm, I'm being very honest with you, this is a moment of confession. It's good to confess our sins to one another. Um, sometimes I get a, bit, a little bit frustrated about, you know, don't like quiz evenings, you know. I've even heard the, I don't like carols. Okay, you know, I've, I've heard it, you know. Um, you know, Paul and both Moses and Paul said to God, I w- they are willing to cut themselves off from God for the sake of their people. They both said it. Literally, they were willing to endure hell for the sake of their people, the, the Hebrews, coming to know Jesus Christ. Are you willing to endure hell? For some of you, quiz evening, It is hell. For some of you, fashion nights are hell. some of you, carols, for some reason, might be hell. But it's over in a couple of hours. Moses and Paul are willing to endure hell forever. It may be a couple of hours of hell for you, but it might just be the thing that your friends will come to. It it may not be, but it might be. Let's be careful as well about saying no on behalf of people. Well, I would ask my neighbour, but he seems so busy at the moment. Oh, I would ask my friend, but it doesn't really seem like it's for her, or she doesn't look like she's looking for God. We don't know what's going on in the secret place. We only know what God has called us to do. Fourthly, we will pray, and we will pray lots. We will do both. We will do what we can do, and then we will ask God to do what only he can do. The Bible says that we are co-workers with Christ. And we should always see that as the highest honor, not as some kind of, oh no, it's more work, You know, another thing to think about, some frustrating chore. Because having been welcomed into God's kingdom, we are then invited to become, it's called to be part of welcoming others into that wonderful kingdom. So we both want to fulfill the commission God has given us and we want to pray for the harvest that God will bring. But actually we find when we pray, I want us to pray mostly for ourselves in this, that the Holy Spirit will help us become more like him, that the Holy Spirit would give us the boldness we need and the words that we need in that moment, in the moments presented before us. You know, there are many evangelistic prayers in the Bible, and and forgive me if there's one I've missed. I can't find one where they actually pray for people who are unbelieving. I can't find that. Probably it might be, but I couldn't find it. All the prayers are actually about the people who are praying, saying, God, make me more bold. God, open the door for me. God, help me as I want to go and speak. Maybe you can find one. Please let me know because I couldn't. I didn't look that hard, but I'm sure I couldn't find it. So Paul wrote stuff like Colossians 4:3. He said, "Pray that God may open the door for our message, so that we might proclaim the mystery." That's kind of a mixture, isn't it? Ephesians 6:9. Pray for me. This is Paul. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery. Acts 4:29. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. We need to be praying. We need to be praying for ourselves as the workers in the harvest. So don't be surprised if we encourage you to come and pray with us when we gather to pray. You know, if we only need to pray for the lost, then we can just nominate one person to turn up each time and to pray for the lost. You know, we can do a little rota, end up doing one prayer meeting every, you know, two years. You know, if that's merely what God has asked us to do, then we can do it on our own. But if God has told us to pray for ourselves in those moments, then we all need to be there to pray the prayers and to receive those prayers. So because we want to be an evangelistic church, we will seek excellence on a Sunday. Well, not perfection, but excellence. Because we want to be an evangelistic church, we will challenge each other about our own involvement and commitment. We will push harder at particular moments in the year and we will encourage church-wide participation in all the events that we do and we will pray throughout that process. You know, I, I don't want us to miss the importance of this value or to reduce it to merely kind of robotically spewing out news at particular moments. It's much more than that. Every other, every other religion, their evangelism is about a message. You know, the JWs knock on their door, they will tell you about suffering. You know, often they'll introduce you to suffering as well. Um... You talk to the Buddhists, you know, the ones that aren't drinking and gambling and smoking like the ones in Korea. Um, their evangelization is about wise thoughts and wise living. All other religions have evangelism is liter- literally the sharing of a piece of news. But we actually do have more than that. Our evangelism is really about a person. And it's not that we should just be talking about grace, because other religions talk about grace. We shouldn't just be talking about love, because other religions have love in their Ideas, even salvation, that's another reason. Really, we should be speaking about a person who offers all those things to us. Because to be evangelistic is ultimately to be unashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. You know that. Because you can talk about social justice and reform, you can talk about personal responsibility or godly living, good parenting, stewardship, more disciplined life, obedient hearts, humble spirits. You can talk about all those things, but it's only through the name of Jesus Christ that salvation will come. And you preach any other good news, you'll just feel justified because you feel you've done your bit, but there'll be no power in what you do. Peter stood up at Pentecost in Acts 4.12. He said, Salvation is found in no one else. But it wasn't Pentecost, it was a few days later. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Paul wrote in Romans one sixteen. he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God everyone who believed. So if you want to be evangelistic, ultimately it is to be unashamed of Jesus Christ. And let's not hide behind the signs of our religion, things like prayer. We need to tell people about Jesus. In a way, talking about God is unoffensive because we live in a pluralistic society, because God is anything you want him to be. Talking about Jesus is offensive, but that's where the power is. It is offensive because in this world, Jesus is either your Lord and Saviour or he is your swear word. He's either the things you cry in joy or the thing you cry when the world hits you. And he doesn't seem to be anything in between. So if you forget everything else in those moments, if you even forget your own name, sometimes you do, don't forget his. It is all about Jesus Christ. Because, and because evangelism is all about him, I find myself inspired to grow in evangelism. I, let's aim all to, to grow in our evangelism out of love and devotion to the one who saved me through the evangelistic efforts of other people who probably didn't think they were very evangelistic either. Out of love and devotion for all the people that Christ gave his life for, let's grow in our evangelism. Out of love for Christ and for those far from him, let's strive for more than just running evangelistic events. Let us all be witnesses Of God's love and faithfulness. Let's all decide. I will get better at this. I will proclaim. I will invite the Holy Spirit to give to to change the areas I know that it's struggling in my evangelism. He will give me the words. I will get prepared. We get it better because it's about Jesus Christ. I'd love to pray in a moment. Well, I will pray in a moment. Um and actually, I want to pray into those four things, and uh, I'm going to ask everyone to stand because that just kind of makes it less embarrassing. Um, and as we, as I pray these things, I just want to encourage you. Just if you know that's the big thing for you, as I say, you know, you, you may be one of these people. I, it's unlikely. I've never met a Christian so far. I've been like, don't want, don't share the message. Don't want to share the message. Don't care. You know, I've, I haven't met anyone like that. You. you you may be the first, but that's okay. That's still your choice. But I'm sure, like me, you, you know you want to share the message. You just trip up in those moments, or you trip up in the way that you present it. And uh, I'd, I'd love to pray for those four areas. And if, if that's the thing you know is the most pertinent thing right now, just, just in your heart, just give that thing to God and ask you to, the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you and helping you. Um, I was reminded, in Matthew 21, Jesus tells a story. And he says, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But then later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the same, he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. And Jesus asked the question, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered, obviously. What lesson is Jesus giving us? Really talk is cheap. God loves obedience. If he calls us to work in the vineyard, it's no good us standing up here and saying, yes, I want to do it, and then changing our mind later. It's better that you say no now, and then change your mind and do what God has commanded us to do. You know, if he wanted people just to say the right things on a Sunday morning, he'd have kept hold of those lovely Pharisees, you know, the ones he only had praise for, didn't he? It's very easy for us to become like the first son. We can say the things, we can want to look obedient, want to look obedient for God, and, and Jen may even feel it. I want us to look good, but I also want the desire to live it out. God prefers the one who doesn't stand up or doesn't amen, but then changes his mind later and does what the father's asked him. Shall we stand? Can we all close our eyes? just helps us focus. Nothing hugely religious. God doesn't like blind people any more than us. Um, Father God, I thank you that your good news came to us first. Lord, I, it is my nightmare to imagine what my life would be without you. It really is, Lord. Where would I be? What would, I, what would I think? How would I reason? How would I understand the world? How would I see the world? Unless you first revealed your good news, your gospel of Jesus Christ to me. And Lord, I pray now, Lord, as, that you would help us be the witnesses that you have called us to be. Lord, I believe with all my heart that you are a good father, a kind father, and you would not ask us to do something that we are incapable of doing. You would not call us to be witnesses if you didn't give us the power and the strength through your Holy Spirit and through your word to be able to carry that out because you are not a cruel God. Forgive us where we've denied that and pretended that you've called us to do something we're unable to do because of time, because of knowledge, because of... Friendships, because of situations, because of the age and stage we're at, and because of the busyness with our family. Forgive us where we've denied your truth and made you out to be a cruel taskmaster when you are just a loving father. And Lord, I pray into these just four areas that I've come up with myself. Lord, it hasn't, maybe there are other things that do trip us up that we can think of ourselves. Lord, help us, I pray. Give us the words to speak in those moments, Lord. Some of those words I know come as we prepare our hearts before, as we get into your word, as we write a personal tract, as we look at the evangelistic tools that are wonderfully on offer to us. Help us to be prepared in and out of season. Lord God, help us if we feel that we have to have all the answers. If we, for fear of not being able to respond well, we don't respond at all. For fear of looking stupid sometimes, God. For fear of saying, I don't know, and imagining somehow that reflect badly on you, God. Thank you that you just call us to be witnesses of what we've seen and what we've heard and what has, been, what has happened to us, and nothing more and nothing less. And Lord, help those people who know that they need to just grow in their relationships with people so these opportunities can come up. Again, give us boldness to do that, to deepen relationships, to take time away from other things to do that. Love the way you loved people. I love the way, Jesus, that you were around people. Help us, we pray, to be like you in that. Not see people as just a target. I get my five, then I'm okay. But no, with the, with the eyes that you see them with. And Lord, I pray for every person here, and perhaps it's all of us to some extent, just who know that there are things in our lives that make speaking about the good news of Jesus Christ hard or impossible because of the way we live in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would gently, through your Holy Spirit, just prick our conscience, as you do, and then Holy Spirit, just flood into that area. Jesus Christ, take sovereignty over the areas in our life where we know we are not conforming to your pattern of living. Do it graciously, Lord, I pray, for all of us. Thank you again, you're not cruel in it. Thank you. You do it as a loving Father. You discipline us, but you do it for your glory and for your good. Lord Jesus, we do want to get better at spreading your good news. Just Encourage you, just just in the quiet, just... You know, we don't need music. We don't, you know, sometimes it helps. Sometimes it's nice. We don't necessarily always need someone to put their hand on our shoulder and pray with us. Sometimes we just need to be before God and submit the things he's speaking to us. Maybe there are people that are friends of yours that God wants to just... Give you a, a revelation of his love for them. maybe there are opportunities that you've considered, or even opportunities that you've initially turned down. Well, actually, maybe God's saying, no, that's I want you in that place. Maybe you know it's a it's a calendar thing. you just you find yourself too busy. Lord, give us grace for that as well. Lord Jesus, we pray just like those first disciples who faced a setback from the Jewish council. They came back together and they said, Lord God, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Lord God, we know there is opposition in the world, and we will face it whenever we step up for you. Consider their threats, but enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, I pray. So that increasingly we would become an evangelistic church thank you for the work you've already doing in us thank you for the testimonies of things already going on make it increasingly so i pray lord jesus amen